Welcome to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast, a podcast for psychotherapy group practice owners. I'm your host, Maureen Warbach. This episode is sponsored by the Group Practice Owners Summit, the first annual Group Practice Owners Conference in Chicago. The first one is this July 2019, and right now there are still openings for speakers and sponsors. For more information, visit www.grouppracticebuilders.com forward slash summit. Hey everyone, Maureen here on another episode of the Group Practice Exchange Podcast, and I'm super excited today to be able to talk with Dr. Melissa Hall from QA Prep, and we're going to be talking about all things relating to notes in your staff. Hey, Melissa, how are you? Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited. This is one of those topics that you know some people may say is, is a boring topic, but I feel like when it comes to being a group practice owner... It's seriously one of these things that comes up often because um, it's really hard to sort of figure out what we want in in terms of notes for our staff and how to effectively and accurately supervise and watch over um, the note-taking process. So I'm really excited to get sort of your expert opinion on some of um, the areas of note-taking and uh, being a business owner. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a really common issue that comes up. And I think for a lot of people, it actually comes up when they start supervising other people or hiring others. Exactly. When you're on your own, maybe you're okay. But then you're like, oh, I was kind of okay being iffy about it when it's just me. But now uh-huh. I feel like I need to know what I'm doing. Yeah. I remember in the beginning, I when I first hired my first couple of people, I always thought like, I want you to do better than I'm doing. (laughs) So, um, and I I see the more, the larger your group practice gets, the more um, nerve wracking it can be to kind of manage a bunch of clinicians who every week have 20 plus um, clients that they're seeing. And so um, I think this is going to be something that's really beneficial to the listeners today. So I'm super excited about getting, jumping into this. Yeah, me too. All right. So the topic is getting quality notes from your staff and how we can do that. I want to jump in and um, start with what are ways, like let's go right to the beginning when you first hire some someone. What are some of the ways that you train or you can train new therapists on the note-taking process? Yeah. So the first thing is to actually do a little bit of training. So that um, you know might sound like a no-brainer, but most people don't actually do that. And I hear a lot of stories from people who say their supervisor just told them, you know, well, you just figure it out or um, supervisors who actually said like, it's not my job to train you. So if that was the... If you had no training, so most likely you've had very little training if you're listening to this, even if you are now supervising other people or managing other people. Um... But you do want to provide some training for them. And for a lot of people, that can be uh, really nerve-wracking because you feel unprepared yourself. So I think the first thing is to actually like get some kind of a system together that you can feel good about, whether that is recommending a note template for people, like everyone follows the same template, um, whether it's certain checkboxes you want to have, whether it's certain topics you want to have in the note. There's a lot of different ways you can do it. Regardless, you want to have something that you can identify like, this is my system and this is how I can teach people how to do it. 
Exactly. So in going to, so I use therapy notes, which is awesome because they have a really good template for uh, intake notes, progress notes and termination notes and all of that fun stuff and treatment plans. And so um, the checkboxes and the information that's really important is sort of there and makes it really easy for my clinicians to start writing a good quality note. But what I noticed too is that um, even beyond that, there's a discrepancy depending on where they were employed before. Like if they were in um, hospital setting, which I used to work in a hospital setting, notes were pages and pages because you had to um, get the most lengthy um, history and uh, if you worked in, in another private practice, it might be that a couple of sentences was what you were used to. And so I noticed that that uh, tends to be an issue as well is if you get, even if you have like the check boxes all set and um, the different categories set of what you want to, what you want them to to be writing about. It's interesting to see how varying the actual information that they put in is. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. There are like, there's very, very, and this is one of the things I talk about in my kind of like basic documentation trainings is our ethics codes, our professional associations provide very little guidance other than you should do notes. Right. And that's pretty much it. And the reason they do, it's a good thing that they do that because we do work in such various settings, right? Like hospitals, agencies, private practice, prisons. I mean, there's all these different places. So they can't dictate the way we're all going to write notes, but it causes a problem when when you have that freedom. So you as the group practice owner need to create that structure for your practice. Um, yeah. And if you have a an EHR that has some templates, that can make things a lot easier. Um, or if you have one, you know, a lot of people, if you're using another EHR that doesn't have such specific templates, because I know like Therapy Notes has a lot of check boxes already in place. So usually you should be able to create that yourself. Um, and that way you can have some guidance for your staff. Um, another thing that can be really helpful is to see examples. Yep. So people really, really want to see examples. And if you take the time to write out some examples, it helps you get that clarity around what you do want to see. Um, so, and you want to have more than one. So it can be, what's really helpful is to have people see the story as it plays out. So ideally you have some kind of like a sample file and you can use this for training in multiple ways. If it's an EHR, you can use that for training and how people see how things are entered in the EHR and how everything's arranged in the EHR. If you use a paper system, which I don't think most people in a group practice are using paper at this point, but there if still you do, are some <laughs> yeah. <be> surprised. <laughs> um, you know, then make literally like a mock file and have like the forms in there with fake signatures and um, and you know have you know, fill it out. And if it's your handwriting, that's fine. But you want to have something that you can say. It's kind of like a policy or it's a good, um, you know, a good uh, like partner for your policies that you have. Exactly. We do something similar. Um, my, I have a training page on my website that's, it's hidden, um, but our clinicians know the, uh, the page and it's password protected and they go in and there's a ton of training videos and things that would take me way too long to type out and put in the employee manual. Um, but one of the things that I have is a sample, a really good sample treatment plan, a progress notes. Um, but what I like is we have, it's one treatment plan, one progress note, and one um, intake note. 
And I, you, you saying this now, seeing the journey or seeing the story sort of unfold is an interesting point um, to, to make because that's not something that we do. We just have one of each and we say like, this is sort of what you want it to look like. You don't want it two sentences. You also don't want six pages. Um, yeah. This is, you know, this is how, this is how a good one looks uh, according to me. And uh, so I, I like that extra piece of information because I'll probably yeah. jump in there and put a couple more progress notes in there so that they can see how it sort of unfolds. Well, and one thing you can do too, because that can be overwhelming to think about writing all those notes, particularly if you don't enjoy writing notes yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you can always have your staff help help with that part. So maybe you start out with the intake note and just one or two session notes um, or a note about creating a treatment plan or something like that. And then as time goes on, you have your staff write some notes. Um, you know, maybe after you've trained someone or during the training process, a lot of times people are really, really nervous to have other people read their notes. Like I'm sure most people listening to this are even nervous. They're thinking like, oh, but I'm going to share that note with my new employee. And like, what are they going to think? Because, you know, they're already licensed and, and they know what they're doing. Yeah, and, I totally get that. And so um, at that point, what you can do, I mean, just remember that it's, it's really stressful for everybody. Like everyone is worried about that. But most of the time, I would say like 95% of the time when I read other people's notes, and I've done this a lot, or when other people are reading notes from one another, you realize, oh, okay, even if they're different and you're writing about the same session and different things come out, oh, it's okay. Like it actually seems to work well, you know? I know. It is actually an interesting point that you make that um, we tend to be self-conscious about the notes that we write. We feel good about them when we write them when we think no one's ever going to look at them. And then we get self-conscious when we think about putting that out to our staff. Um, we, what we did was I have a clinical director and she's in charge of the clinicians. And so we actually used um, a treatment plan, progress note of an actual client of hers and blocked out all the identifying information. And um, luckily she feels really good about her notes and I feel equally good about her notes. So she's like, yeah, I'm going to put this stuff out there. And (laughs) it's a great, I feel like it's a great training tool to be able to see that information ahead of time. It's so much harder to try to explain, you know, what you want in it versus actually seeing that. Absolutely. Yeah. And even for yourself. And sometimes you go through that and then, and don't be afraid to like change it over time because maybe you do get a staff member who is like, you read their notes and you're like, wow, these are really good. And then you're like, hey, would you mind me using this as an example or would you mind writing an example for us and um, and keep adding to it? Or maybe someone does, you know, a lot of times this happens, right? Like a situation comes up and then you realize, oh, we don't have a policy around that. We have to create a policy right? <laughs> or, or whatever happens. And so you can do the same thing. Like maybe if you deal with a lot of insurance companies and you get a request from the insurance and, and you have to go through like a case review process and you write some notes around that, maybe you think, oh, this would be really helpful to actually have an example of that. So then you can create an example about that right then. That makes a lot of sense. So one of the things that I was thinking about, and I think most practice owners who have clinicians that are at varying states of licensure is how do you change up or what's important to note when it comes to checking notes when it's a provisionally licensed or person or an intern versus someone who's a fully licensed person who doesn't necessarily need supervision. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that can be a big difference. So usually for provisionally licensed or intern or unlicensed, whatever it is in your state, because yeah. <laughs> they're all different. <laughs> I um, know, right? <laughs> but basically not yet licensed. Yeah. Um, usually those need like a co-signature and that can also shift a little bit. Like when I was not licensed, but was also not in school anymore, I didn't necessarily need co-signatures on my notes. Um, but when I was an intern and still in school, I, you know, everything had to be co-signed. So um, if you're co-signing something, you want to read it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't even want to know if people don't go that far. <laughs> yeah. That, it's really common. It's actually really, really, really common. Yeah. Um, and again, I think that usually stems from... Sometimes it's people who are really confident. Like you've been supervising someone for a couple of years. You feel like you know them really well. They're, you that. feel very confident about that. So that... I mean, that is what it is, right? Maybe you don't read that word for word. You can browse. But, um, but just remember you are co-signing it. But I think a lot of the other piece is that, you know, it's it's the supervisor themselves not feeling confident. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just kind of an avoidance tactic. Um, but do think about it and take the time. And if you're learning from your supervisees, that's okay. If you feel like you realize this is a weak area of yours and you don't know what's going on, you know, seek some training on it, get some consultation if you need, but, um, you know, but do use that opportunity. Um, so first of all, you do want to actually read them. Um, the next thing is if they are sort of maybe like they're newly licensed or kind of in that middle ground, or even if it's a licensed person, but they're, you know, like an actual employee of yours and they are very new, you still want to read those notes in the beginning. So you get a feel for, um, how they document different things and you'll see different things pop up. Like maybe it seems okay when everything's all smooth, but then if an emergency happens or a client is suicidal, then you notice that their note is still the same and they didn't give a little bit more depth that's needed for that specific scenario. Um, So you do want to think about those things, even if it's been a little while that you've had someone. So for licensed people, I recommend that you do that in the beginning, kind of like you do with everything. You check in with them more often, you're reviewing things initially, and you identify like, what is that period? You say, you know, for the first month, I'm going to read a certain percentage of your notes, or for the first month, I want you to bring in, you know, either carry in some files or you open up the EHR and you just look through. Um, That can be kind of a non intrusive way to read through notes without making people feel like, oh my gosh, like, you know, sometimes a licensed therapist will get a little offended. Like, oh, they don't think I know what I'm doing. But you just look through the file and make sure what they're telling you when they're talking about their clients is also what's being reflected in the notes. Um, and that's, you can use it also as a way like, oh, let's make sure you're, you're doing okay in the HR. Everything's up to date. Because you're checking all of that. You're checking to make sure that they are actually writing notes. That's another right. thing yeah. <laughs> you want to be on top of um, and have a policy around so that you can you know, actually uh, follow that policy or ensure people are following it. I actually want to stop you with that. That's something that's coming up quite often in my larger Facebook group. What are your... I know that there's... It's sort of varying opinions and a little bit of gray area in terms of this, but what do you say is a good policy to have when it comes to when, how quickly your staff should be writing notes after a session? Yeah, it is a good question. I 
I like having a 48 hour policy. Um, I think if you do 24 hours, sometimes it's not realistic. I mean, can people make it happen? Yes, they can. Mm -hmm. And I will say as someone who has reviewed a lot of notes, I can tell how long people have waited to write a note. Yes. I never even thought about that. That makes so much sense. Yeah. It gets more and more vague, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. It is very easy to tell. And as a clinician, it's... I mean, I know one of the reasons that I did write my notes, like I always made it a goal to write my notes um, usually within a day. So I would usually write my notes th the next morning mm -hmm. for the day before. Um, and I did that because I know I don't have a very good memory. Right. I actually do have ADHD and that's one of the things that really impacts me. Like I I could not write notes if I was waiting more than a couple of days. Same it just here. they would be horrible. Exactly. So um so in a way it almost became you know the weakness became a strength because yeah. I it made me stay on top of things. Um but I think that helps you ensure quality notes and you want to but you want to double check on that cuz it's one of those things that is so easy for people to fall behind. So if you notice for certain people that you know, their tendency is to fall behind. Maybe you adjust um, your expectations for different people, or maybe you have to make some kind of a like a provisional plan for certain people. Um, it's hard to say, it's hard to say the same day. I would say that's maybe you have a 24 hour rule, but I would say the only one I would I would give you a caveat for is if you say they have to be done the same day. Yeah. Um, unless it's like a, a Medicare requirement or something like that. Right. Um, that's outside of your control. Um, a lot of people are finishing their session at like eight or nine o'clock at night. And it's really just not the best time for them to write six notes for the six clients they saw that day. Exactly. Um, and so you may want to give people a little flexibility there. Okay. So 48 hours is a good rule of thumb. I know I, I hear things for as quickly as 24 hours or same day up through a week um, being the the time frame that group practice owners give, and um, it's actually interesting that we're doing this because this podcast today, because my clinical director and I have been talking this past week about our notes because not because I have a one week policy, which I think is long, um, but I'm and I've said this before, I tend to be a people pleaser and I want to make life as easy as possible for people and um, it, but also staying within what I think is uh, ethical and, and decent when it comes to notes. Yeah. I much prefer people do it in, in a day or two. Um, but we've been talking about this because uh, we have a, a paid sick time and, and time off policy. And when we do payroll at the first of the month, we always have to go back in two weeks later-ish to put in how many... Because the way we base off how many hours a clinician worked is how many notes they did. That So we use the note report and therapy notes, but you can't do it you know, the next day or on the first of the month because people haven't done their notes for the past two or three or four days. Um, and so we've been talking about, you know, is it unreasonable at the end of the month to ask that all notes be done? And so that there might be potentially one day, let's say like today, whoever's working today that would have to like put the pedal to the metal with their notes for today's sessions to make life a little bit easier for us who do the payroll because then we could do payroll and actually have the accurate pay time off in the system. We always have to go back in, like I said, a week or two later. And so we've been having this conversation. I said, you know what? I'm interviewing someone. We'll talk afterwards because um, she's, you know, the queen of the queen of notes. And so we'll, I'll, I'll have a better idea of what I think is a, a good policy in terms of, of that specifically. So um, 
I like that you're bringing this up. It, well, that's a good point because there are other there are other things to consider too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're using that to look at payroll, if you have insurance requirements, um, if you also want to think about like have a policy that gives a little bit of leeway. So if someone does get sick or something happens, mm-hmm. you don't want then two weeks going by, exactly. right? Because um, that's how things really easily get out of hand. And you also want to think about like if you have independent contractors. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not an employment attorney. You talk to, you know, whomever about that. Disclaimer but, here. <laughs> yes. But, you know, think about things like the session is not complete until the note is done. Right. So That's when do we, you pay them? Exactly. We do this as well for our employees. Um, but tell, can you tell me a little bit about if there's any um, differences or caveats or uh, issues that when it comes to notes that we have to consider when we have independent contractors versus employees, obviously with employees, we have a little bit more control. There's less concern of us being able to require things or expect things or um, review notes. But what about with independent contractors? Yeah. And that's where it does get a little bit dicey because you have to look at like how much are you requiring? So you really can't do a lot of, I want you to write notes this way uh, and that kind of thing if it is an independent contractor. Um, what you can do is say, you know, maybe that the expectation is that you're going to have ongoing consultation. Because um, if they're an independent contractor, they're not someone you're actually supervising. Right. We're assuming that they're a licensed person and they're kind of working independently. Um, so you would want them to also, if you're going to be doing kind of ongoing consultation about that kind of a thing, um, make sure that if whatever policies they're using when they're having their clients sign, that they are explaining that to their clients. Mm-hmm. So for example, like in my paperwork packet, one of the things I have in the services agreement is that, you know, con- certain consultations may like that I may um, reach out to other professionals for consultation on different professional issues relating to this case, you know, but if it's anything that would um, like put their confidentiality at risk, you know, that, you know, that wouldn't happen or I would let them know ahead of time if I needed to do that. Right. That makes sense. So. So having something like that where you're thinking ahead about like, ooh, what if I start to question this? Mm-hmm. You know, what if I start to question what's going on here and you want to check up on things? Um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of being a business owner is kind of thinking of those worst case scenarios or yeah. trying to imagine them ahead of time. Yeah, I've and, actually learned that that's the way I make the best decisions. Yeah. And my clinical director, because I, whenever I want to make a big policy change of some sort, um, I'll write a list of everything that could potentially go wrong. And then I hand it to her and I ask her to add to the list anything else she might think could go wrong. And at first she was like, why? This seems so like negative. And I was like, no, you know, I, I tend to come up with these great ideas. What I think of great ideas, I think they're great ideas. And then I just want to jump in and do them. And, um, I've been known to be like, after the fact, that, that, that wasn't so great. And so that is such a good idea because, um, you figure out what potentially could go wrong. And then you can see, is there a way to bypass that happening by putting something else in place that would, you know, X that out? Um, so I like that. I'm glad you made that point because that is one of my favorite ways of making decisions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, it's fun. I mean, I am definitely like a perpetual optimist, so that's not naturally what I do. And it can be difficult for me to do that. Yeah. Um, but it is something you want to think about. And unfortunately, I've seen that with people who've had independent contractors where they're not 
writing notes and you start to get concerned. And so, and it's a lot of issues, right? Because then if you are using that rule of like, well, you know, I'm not going to pay you until the full session is complete, which means the note is done. Um, You don't want like them submitting a giant bill to you two months later because they had everything pile up. There's a lot of reasons for that. Um, But you want to have some kind of idea in place and maybe even have some kind of a contract where you could like audit things. Yeah. So you think about like insurance companies or agencies, like any kind of a nonprofit usually has agreements with their funders that those people funding mm-hmm. can look at certain things because they can check up to make sure that treatment is actually happening, that this is the real deal. Um, so you could have something like that in place as well. Yeah. I always um, sort of defer back to when people ask questions like this, anything that has a legal smell to it is have your employment attorney look at it. It, it, For me, I never make these kinds of decisions with independent contractors specifically because I have two. Um, I have a nurse practitioner who does medication management and a psychologist who does just testing. They both have their own practices. Um, All my therapists are employees. But whenever I think of anything that relates to, is it something that I, where I have to think about is there a difference between how I can do this with employees or independent contractors? I just immediately go to my employment attorney and ask because at the end of the day, um, although these Facebook groups are really amazing, people really rely on them to get their answers. And so often I just, a lot of my answers, just I want them to be, I would check with your employment attorney because it's so different, one, state by state, but also um, there's where, where one, it is, well, also, feedback is also different depending on who's attor- who's using which attorney. You know, some attorneys will say no, others will say yes. And so I always err on the side of just ask your attorney who you trust. And um, depending on even the state or city that you live in, it may be a little more lenient or you may be able to have like subcontracts within a contract um, where you're able to have a little bit more control. So um, I like that we're bringing this up just because I think we tend to generalize, at least as group practice owners, we tend to generalize that if someone gives uh, feedback and says, this is how I do it, that it could just work. Um, But the ability, in this case, the ability to really check notes and um, supervise on those notes and ask for changes and and such is really different if you have employees and isn't something you can necessarily do as freely as you would with employees if you have ICs. So I like that you brought that up. Well, and everything with documentation is like that. Unfortunately, yeah. that's the, I always say like my answer is pretty much always, it depends. Yeah. You know, I can, everybody <laughs> wants me to give them like a black or white, like do yep. this. Uh-huh. And vast majority of the time I can't because exactly. it depends on your practice. It depends on your license. It depends on um, how risk averse you are. It depends right. on what type of clients you see. Like there's so many factors to consider and so those are the things you want to consider. And also, yes, that means that you might get feedback from people that is totally invalid for you. Yeah. So do remember that. <laughs> yes. Yes. So end of day, if you're unsure, ask an employment attorney. I mean, they're going to be able to, yes. when it comes to your your staff specifically and what you can and can't request of them or require of them, um, especially in the case of independent contractors. I want to um, segue into the last question I have. And um, and then this can kind of bundle in with how you can help with this area because I know with QA Prep, you, you help with the notes and all of that. Um, is what are, 
do you have any suggestions for ways that business owners or group practice owners can provide this sort of ongoing training for their staff when it comes to notes? Um, either a tip or suggestions, and then you can kind of segue that into what you do to help business owners or group practice owners keep their practice afloat um, when it comes to notes. Absolutely. So there are a lot of things you can do. And first off, staff really welcome this. It's like nobody's going to come up most of the time. No one is going to come up to you and say, I want you to do a training for us on notes, right? right? Because they all want to avoid it. Um, However, these are such powerful trainings. Like when I worked at an agency and did these trainings, people loved them. People welcomed them. This is why I actually started QA Prep because I would have so many people come up to me and say that was so helpful. I never got any training on this. Thank you so much. So um, so do it, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things you can do that is, I think, the easiest to do and the most fun is have everyone in a group and you watch a therapy session together. So the easiest one is to watch one of the Gloria videos. I don't know if you're familiar with mm-hmm. that. A lot of us mm-hmm. watch that in grad school. Yep. Um, and if you're not familiar with it, it's you know a woman named Gloria who did um, sessions with three different famous psychologists at the time. And um, the one that I typically use with people is... Um, the most popular one, which is Gloria with Carl Rogers. And I like using that one because Carl Rogers um, is so focused on empathy and rapport building and not giving any directives, Mm -hmm. unlike the other two who tend to give a little bit more feedback and and, and directions. So, um, and the other two are Albert Albert Ellis and Fritz Perls. So they're great sessions. I mean, they're just great. Like it's great discussion. It's a lot of fun. Um, But you do that. So you watch it as a group. The um, The actual video is about... I think the actual session is about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you watch that and then you all write a note. So you spend like 5 or 10 minutes. Everyone writes a note. If you have you know, your, your specific template, you can have everyone write it the same way. If not, you can have everyone write it however they write. Um, and then you simply share your notes together. And it is a little like scary at first, like the first person to, sh- to share their note. Um, but then everybody really gets into it. And you'll be amazed at how similar all the notes sound, even if you've never all talked about notes before. Um, and then you'll also learn some things like, oh, I like the way she wrote that. Or I like the way she framed that intervention that he provided. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a great way to get insight. And people. it's usually a really good bonding experience. Yeah. I was going to say, I love those kind of interactive sort of meetings because as a being a group practice owner, I know firsthand that meetings can become this kind of stale sort of training type where I give feedback and everyone accepts it kind of thing. And so I really like this idea of really kind of experientially uh, doing that. Um, I like that idea. Everyone should go do that. Yeah. it's And I swear, every time I've done it, people love it. I it's, was waiting to hear what you were going to give because I was like, there's no way she's going to have anything exciting for <laughs> notes training. Yeah. Today, it's like, love, especially with Gloria, that's such a good idea. Yeah. And then you can, you can search for other sessions and you can do... And that's the thing. You know, you can do it... You can do it six months later. You could do it like a twice a year type thing with different types of sessions. And um, there's a ton of different ways you can do it. But it's it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing I would say is you can do... A lot of times people don't like these, but they can be really useful, is to do um, reviews of, of files. 
Um, so I would say you want to do that or at least have your staff. Um, you can also have staff do that on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, review their own file. I recommend that therapists, you know, review your own files about once a year. Yeah. So you kind of set a time and maybe you you do it once a quarter and you just do a few files at a time. But you'll be amazed at um, the clinical insight you get doing that because sometimes it can be really easy to get stuck in what's going on in the last month or two yeah. with people. Um, so especially if you see people more long-term, it, you absolutely want to do that because, or if you're feeling stuck with a client. So especially like if a staff member is coming to you and saying like, I just don't know what to do, or I feel like we're kind of like off or, you know, if they're saying things like that, then say, well, let's let's go back and start from day one and, and kind of read the notes and see what the story is saying. And nine times out of 10, you'll get some big insight from doing that. I like yeah. that as a method for getting beyond a stuck point. I mm-hmm. don't I don't go that route. And I love that idea. Yeah, it's amazing because you'll get the insight just from things you've written yourself, you yeah. know, and then you have the, oh, I'm brilliant moment. <laughs> or, um, or, you know, you'll, you'll realize something that a client said or you'll realize a pattern that's been happening or something like that. Right. Oh, I love this idea. Okay, so... Um, can you tell us a little bit about you and what you can do to help uh, group practice owners when it comes to this to this topic? Absolutely. So the big thing, I have a free crash course. So anyone can sign up for that. And um, inside the crash course, I talk about notes and treatment plans and I have some free templates in there. Um, we talk about like intake paperwork and insurance and some kind of basic things. And for a lot of people, that's good and they're good to go. Um, and then I also have an academy so people can sign up for a membership. And we are just releasing in June... Um, a new feature for group practices. So you get a discount for purchasing multiple memberships. Oh, awesome. Um, so that way you can have um, kind of a perk for your staff because we do monthly continuing education training. Um, so we have workshops that are live each month. And then you also, as soon as you sign up, you get access to all the previous workshops, which I think at this point is about 18 hours nice. of CE credit. So, so you can kind of focus on whatever topic interests you um, instead of having to binge on the whole thing. Right. And um, and there's, you know, I pretty much in there, that's where I put everything. So I, you know, put templates in there, new handouts. We have a group forum where people can ask questions. Um, we also do like resource reviews where we just share like helpful um additional resources that are not CE related, like tools or, you know, strategies that you can have. Um, So there's a ton of stuff in there. And I'm really excited to have the group practice feature because it'll be like your own, um, you'll have access to the main academy, but you'll also kind of have like your own page for your, your staff and you'd be able to review. So you could actually have it as part of your training program, like assign it to each of your staff and then look up to see, did they do that notes training that I wanted them to do? You'd be able to see their progress. All right. You're going to email me those links and I'll be sure to put those links in um, the blog that I write for this podcast so that people can easily get to it. Um, Awesome. I love this. This is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I have, I do have a special handout that kind of summarizes some of these points, these things you can do with your staff. So if you go to qaprep.com slash groups, then um, you can get access to the the crash course and you can get access to that handout too. Oh, perfect. um, Get that in email. 
Everyone loves a freebie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, Melissa, thank you so much for this super, super informative um, podcast episode. I feel like people are going to really love it. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. It was so good talking to you and I'll see you online. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in 